1: Welcome to the Explaining History podcast, and uh, today I want to talk about one of the less documented um, episodes at the end of the Spanish Civil War, and that is the flight of half a million Spanish Republicans uh, across the Pyrenees into France, and how they were actually treated when they they got to got to France. Um, the, the great refugee crisis. Uh, that we know about um, occurred at the end of the Second World War. This is popularly um, multiple refugee crises as people fled from the Red Army as um, guest workers or forced workers in uh, Germany at the end of the war um, tried to get home and there were Um, uh, multiple uh, problems for the new uh, United Nations and its various agencies to deal with but there was a a huge refugee crisis as well in 1939 um, as the uh, uh, men and women and children fleeing uh, Franco's uh, murderous regime that is installing itself in uh, Spain after three years of bloody civil war uh, uh, attempted to to escape. So by um, late October 1938 uh, the Republican government, as we know, is on the verge of collapse. Um, There was just, uh, for example, 17,000 rifles left to defend Catalonia Um, and when Barcelona fell in january nineteen thirty nine um, hundreds of thousands of um, refugees uh, left Catalonia um, fearing the uh, the bloodletting that was going to ensue uh, when the nationalists uh, Franco's nationalist forces had uh, conquered um, republican parts of Spain. there had been mass killings executions of republican politicians. Anyone thought to be associated with the Republican regime. So the the uh, supporters of the Republic were in no doubt about what would happen to them, and the only option was to cross the Pyrenees mountains, um, and the and hopefully find refuge in France. Um, the journey across the Pyrenees. Um, was really just the beginnings of the uh, of, of the problems of the uh, Republican uh, refugees. However, the political weather had been changing in France. In 1936, there had been uh, a Popular Front government under Leon Blum, socialist prime minister, um, and the possibility of, of France offering more aid to. Republic in Spain increased um, during that year. The Popular Front government uh, mirrored Spain 's own popular front, which had been um, formed in uh, the same year, and the uh, threat that Hitler saw to popular fronts, which were really just coali- left coalitions um, was, was immense. He saw this as being um, the, the the real danger. To fascism in Europe, uh, Stalin also disliked uh, popular fronts. He thought that they represented a, a democratic path to socialism, which was um, the opposite of Soviet communism, and therefore it uh, represented the challenge to his authority as the, the kind of the key figure within um, the uh, world within world revolution. So uh, this was uh, kind of a, a promising as far as the Republic in Spain was concerned. However, in 1937, Leon Blum's government falls. Um, the conservative right in France um, uses uh, rather kind of manufactured popular protests uh, against um, the uh, popular front in order to uh, come to power. Blum's successor, Édouard Deladier, Uh, who would famously, with uh, Chamberlain, negotiate with uh, Hitler at the Munich uh, Agreement, the Munich Conference, um, handing over the Sudetenland to um, Germany. Deladier was far less inclined to um, look favourably upon the Spanish Republic and was far more inclined with Britain To starve it of uh, badly needed funds and equipment. As far as Deladier was concerned, the Republic was really a kind of one of Stalin's uh, outposts in southern Europe. And the French uh, were uh, unprepared for the influx of refugees uh, as they spent much of their time and energies focused on Germany and what uh, Hitler appeared to be uh, planning. In response to the trail of refugees coming across uh, the mountains, the French established uh, camps across southern France for hundreds of thousands of Spanish exiles to be interned in. Um, There were, in some cases, uh, just barbed wire enclosures Uh, laid out uh, across beaches uh, and the the Mediterranean, um, obviously lacking shelter, lacking sanitary facilities or cooking facilities. Um, And in six months, 14,672 refugees died in these camps uh, from malnutrition malnutrition, uh, and dysentery. Now, those kinds of statistics, it would be interesting, perhaps an entirely different academic study, to compare those kinds of statistics to death rates of uh, the various different kinds of um, uh, prisoner of war, internment, and other camps during the Second World War. Perhaps they would not be quite as acute as uh, some of the the, the Nazi or uh, other camps. But... But they would be contenders for um for real um for crimes against humanity. Now in the January edition of History Today um, uh, Larry Hannant writes all about um the Camp de Riversols um which was a camp um which was built near Perpignan. Um, he says built in nineteen thirty eight to acclimatise troops to arid conditions the camp was hastily reconfigured to take in Spanish refugees. For the 8,000 men, women and children in it, River uh, was only a slight improvement on the exposed beaches of the camps of San Sapien, sur Semer and the Basarias. If they lacked adequate food, accommodation and medicine, the refugees there found they had an abundance of another amenity, French Guards. We're up to our ears in gendarmes, uh, complained one refugee. The supervision was so pervasive and perverse that they spied on us when we had a bowel movement. The French guards um, were renowned for treating the uh, interned Spanish refugees uh, badly, um, being uh, behaving violently towards them, robbing them, um, and uh, treating them generally like um, the unwelcome guests who had been imposed on France. And it's interesting to consider politically where these jailers were probably coming from. The shift towards the reactionary right in France and also the undercurrent of resentment by uh, police and army officers and the kind of the, the bastions of the right in France against the French left were being um, taken out on refugees from the now defunct centre-left state to the south. Um, in the collection of um, essays on the 20th century by Tony Judd, uh, Reappraisals, which I urge everyone to read, it's a brilliant, brilliant book, um he writes an essay on uh, uh, reviewing a book on the fall of France. And his conclusion is that France fell in 1940 because France was already politically and ideologically divided with a hard core of uh, reactionary fascist sympathisers uh, at the centre of the army. And you know, there's a, a very revealing photo uh, at the end of uh, the uh, Hitler's campaign against France where French generals are surrendering in a sort of almost slightly um, sheepish way to the Germans, um, looking faintly relieved that uh, what wasn't going to happen, as had happened in 1870, was uh, a a, a full-scale socialist revolt in Paris um one of the uh one of the things that's true about this period of time is that there is a kind of a a great ideological civil war um a great sort of pol- political civil war not of the shooting variety uh happening in France during the 1930s and the politics of the reactionary right can be seen uh manifested in the actions The ill treatment of the Spanish was designed to encourage them to go back to Spain. Some did, um, despairing of their treatment in France, um, and when they reached the border, they were arrested by the Guardia Civil, um, and then and jailed, uh, and in some cases executed. Uh, by December 1939, 200,000 Spaniards... Um, and uh, their comrades from the International Brigades, about whom we'll talk more in uh, the moment, uh, had remained in France. So about 300,000 had eventually either died in France or gone home. Uh, Another camp at Verne, which was uh, just 50 kilometres from the Spanish border, um, uh, contained uh, the uh, most renowned fighters of the International Brigades, um, anarchists, socialists and those who had uh, really no home so particularly communists from Germany and Austria these were people for whom uh, these people presented a huge political dilemma to to France it was unclear as to what exactly to, to do with them um, six months after the first wave had arrived at Vernet. Um, another uh, wave of anti-fascists were sent there. So to continue the story, Larry Hannand writes, Six months later, they were joined by another wave of anti-fascists. When Germany declared war on September 1st, 1939, France turned sour on another group of three million exiles living in its midst. Over the previous six years, these outcasts had fled Nazi Germany, fascist Italy, and the authoritarian regimes of Eastern Europe and the Balkans. Arthur Kessler was one of them. Born in Hungary, Kessler had become uh, had been a member of the Communist Party of Germany from 1931 to 1938, before leaving it in disgust on hearing of Stalin's Moscow show trials. During the grim summer of 1939, as Europe hung on tenterhooks over who might be Hitler's next victim, Kessler was lying low in southern France. He was supposed to be writing what would become his best-selling anti-communist novel, Darkness at Noon. It was hard to keep his mind on fiction. Any sense of calm, he wrote later in his memoir Scum of the Earth, was drowned out by a tide of xenophobia sweeping over France with morbid rapidity. As one of the hated foreigners with dubious political sentiments, Kessler was arrested a month after the war began and interned at the Vernet camp. At the time, he thought the conditions were even below the level of Nazi concentration camps, though 30 of the men in his barrack. Could make the comparison with greater authority. They had all suffered periods of imprisonment at Dachau, Rauhenberg, and Wulfsbüttel. If somebody screamed at night in our barracks, we knew he had dreamt of the Gestapo. And regaining consciousness, he recognised with the relief the smell of rotting, the, the, the smell of relief of the rotting straw of Vernay. Kessler caustically observed, one had at the camp, nicknamed the leper barrack was made up of 350 veterans from Spain. They were remnants of the international brigades, once the pride of the European revolutionary movement, the vanguard of the left. Kessler recalled that even the most wretched in other hutments looked upon these with a mixture of horror and dismay. None of them possessed a change of shirt or socks, and they went about naked under a thin ragged shirt. The barrack was infested with vermin and disease. Compared with these ravaged souls, even with internees in his own barracks, Kessler was fortunate. Influential friends in England had put pressure on the French government, and after three months at Vernet, he was released. Kessler was one of the last to reach freedom, as he related a week after France capitulated to Germany on the 22nd of June 1940. The Gestapo made its first visit to the Vernet camp. What a find for him, those black clothed men! 300,000 pounds of democratic flesh, all labelled, alive, and only slightly damaged. So here is a curious and terrible irony, that when the uh, Nazis managed to conquer France, there was already a pre-existing concentration camp system with internees from across Europe, who were all uh, vociferous anti-Nazis, ready to be handed over to the Gestapo. And who handed them over? Well, it wasn't the pre-existing regime of the French Third Republic. No, far from it. It was the new Vichy regime who were comprised of the... um, Fascist sympathisers and overt fascists, uh, people, uh, people in the guise of people like Pierre Laval, um, who had uh, been simmering with their discontent against democratic norms and their own uh, notions of uh, anti-Semitism and anti-communism. It was these people who happily em- embraced the Nazis and were happy to hand over uh, the um, desperate internees uh, who had been corralled in France for several years. So France's defeat meant that the camps grew, and in 1942, uh, Marshal Philippe Pétain, the head of the Vichy regime and collaborator with the Nazis, uh, began to participate and cooperate uh, with the Nazi regime's uh, final solution, uh, the uh, mass murder of all Europe's Jews. Um, this meant that Jews, Roma, and dissidents, and Spanish Republicans were moved from French internment uh, to the to camps in uh, Germany, Austria, uh, and Poland. Um, there were, for example, five thousand deaths of Spanish Republicans at Mauthausen camp in Austria. Before the fall of France, uh, some Spanish internees managed to uh, find uh, deployment with the french foreign legion in uh, north africa um and at that uh, when france fell they were able to uh, break away from the control of the uh, vichy the replacement vichy regime and join the uh, the free forces the free french uh, forces in africa um, to fight alongside uh, the the British and, and other allies, um, some were able to do um, militarised work, sort of semi-militarised work, um, to help the French military before uh, the Nazi onslaught, um, and were sent to build uh, the Maginot Line, the line of fortresses uh, along the German and Belgian border. Another thing worth um, mentioning is that uh, Spanish Republicans who were used to uh, fighting a guerrilla war uh, against Franco, when the uh, these were the men and women who managed to evade the camps and find work outside the camps, they were part of the process of having to create the French Resistance, the Maquis. During uh, the war, Um, they understood um, sabotage, um, laying uh, mines, um, ambushes, assassinations, that kind of of thing, Um, and were capable of uh, becoming um, part of the uh, resistance, particularly in southwestern France. At the end of the Second World War, Obviously, as uh, as mentioned at the uh, at the beginning, there were millions of displaced people uh, across Europe, a majority of whom were able to return to their home countries, but in the case of Spain, this was uh, this was not possible because the one fascist dictator who would set out the war and survived it as a result was General Francisco Franco, who would live on until 1975. Uh, Of the half million Spanish refugees in France um, in 1939, um, 160,000 of them remained there until 1962. Of course, the uh, Spanish who remained in France after the war uh, weren't kept in camps any longer, but the camps themselves found that they uh, gained a new lease of life uh, in the uh, early 1960s. Uh, when France failed to hold on to Algeria, um, and the uh, Algerian War of Independence um, was, um, came to its, its bloody conclusion. 90,000 uh, Algerians loyal to France, referred to as the Harkis, um, were evacuated to France uh, for fear of terrible reprisal. Um, and River the camp, uh, was opened again. In the two years from 62 to 64, 20,000 former uh, Algerian soldiers and their families were kept in uh, conditions that the Spanish Republicans would have had uh, bitter memories of. So France uh, was desperate to encourage the Algerians to remain uh, loyal, Um, to it Um, but uh, obviously with typical kind of colonial dismissal and kind of chauvinistic arrogance um, there was no plan for um, the Algerian loyalists um, other than uh, internment and uh, to be uh, treated like the second-class citizens that they, they always had been treated as and for anyone that wants to visit it Uh, The camp at Riverside is now uh, a museum, Um, rather reminiscent of some of the camps um, that I've been able to uh, visit as a Holocaust educator across Europe uh, in the last 10 years or so. Okay, so I'm going to finish there. Um, Do remember if you can support our Patreon campaign, that would be great. Um, We do rely on donations and a trickle of ad revenue. I hope you found this useful and interesting, and I'll catch you on the next podcast. All the best. Bye-bye.